man the hhc crew is here with zach radford and uh, we were just talking and catching up a little bit i met zach back in 2015 out at nashville golf and uh, i'm here with caleb and and joe but joe goes far back with zach he does he does yeah uh zach and i were roommates uh in the grand forest apartments up at uh university of tennessee in uh for i guess that would have been 2006 2007 yeah uh so yeah man it's good it's it's been a while but it's it's good to see you man it's really good to see you too yeah that, i can't believe it's been that long 2007 <laughs> we're getting a little older yeah exactly <laughs> Well, we, we might have to have another podcast and talk about college Joe and Zach stories at some point. But oh, God. I'd love for yeah, I'd love for Zach to give us some good college Joe stories. I mean, that year was kind of a mess, but <laughs> but sure. Uh, but we're we're here to talk about golf, Zach. Man, tell us like a little bit about because I know you know a lot of people that listen to this are are familiar with you now, right? Like you, you know, your social media, your, uh, you know, like everything you do on YouTube, all the crazy shots, you know, I think the stingers like, you know, get a ton of hits. Right. But like, take us like way far back. Like when did you start playing golf? Like when were you introduced to the game? So this would have gone back very first time that I can remember swinging a golf club was my grandpa's 11 wood that I felt like I hit so well that looking back, I probably couldn't have hit it over a hundred yards back then. I don't remember how old I was. If I'm going to take a guess, probably about 10, something like that. Yeah. And honestly, didn't really play much golf after that. Uh, we would go visit my grandma and grandpa. They lived on a golf course. I would go and like look for golf balls in this pond that was like across the street. I thought that was fun. And occasionally my grandpa, we'd go back into the fairway and like hit a shot or something like that. But the 11 wood, um, the trident 11 wood <laughs> trident. I, if I remember correctly, I'm almost positive. That was the brand. I've not seen that brand anywhere else except for that club. Uh, so that was, that was kind of the first very beginning. My grandpa and my dad kind of introduced me to the game, but then didn't really get into golf uh, until later on into high school. I uh, grew up playing baseball, played pretty competitively baseball up until my family moving to Nashville, my junior year of high school. And baseball at that point in time at Ravenwood, wasn't as competitive as it is now. Now it's very competitive. And growing up in Texas, it was very competitive there. Came here, just wasn't quite enjoying baseball like I had hoped to, and ended up deciding to start golf really then. I had played a little bit of golf here and there uh, through the years, but decided to my junior year pick it up really. And Ended up playing my junior and senior year at Ravenwood and then went off to Tennessee. Didn't play golf hardly at all. Joe knew me. I didn't even have my golf clubs up at college. So I was yeah, going to say, I was going to yeah, say, I didn't even know you played golf then, actually. Right. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. No, no one, no one did. I honestly had only played really for a couple of years up until then. And then once I graduated from Tennessee, I ended up moving back home um, and decided to give it a year, like work at night and practice all day, every day. I had some kind of goals that I wanted to achieve for me to continue on that path of trying to eventually compete but I really didn't have any direction at that point. I was probably like a 10 handicap roughly when I graduated from college. And after six months, probably about midway, midway to end of the summer that year, I ended up getting to roughly a plus six. So I, it improved fairly quickly and that did not translate into scores in tournaments so that was a whole process however that was uh, a little bit later uh, started competing a bit um, and that was a great learning experience uh, put myself in some decent positions and some tournaments early on but honestly had no idea how to handle the nerves uh, I remember being I think it was a 36 hole event one of my first ones and I was like maybe seven or eight under through first 27 holes I believe I finished at even par for the tournament um, <laughs> and several other stories kind of like that uh, for those first few years ended up winning a few times on the mini tours uh, later on and kind of just started sharing my journey on social media and that's kind of what got me into that yeah I, I don't even know if I've ever heard of an 11 word by the way yeah no i i to this day haven't heard of any other 11 wood but that one so <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's my first memory well memory you, of golf you may be the the one person in the entire world that was introduced to the game with an 11 wood which is just <laughs> fantastic i feel like you have to create a video at some point of you hitting stingers with an 11 wood yeah, you gotta that go, would be you gotta awesome. on that club, man. I think you're right. You, you've inspired me. I, I yeah. think you're right. Because that literally <laughs> is my first, like, memories of golf. That and a Northwestern putter. Yeah. Those are, those are, those are my, the first two clubs I remember ever using. That's awesome. Um, man, that's incredible. So, you, you, know, you talked about um or let's kind of take a step back here so when it comes to like the game of golf and like you know you started playing in high school right like when you moved to Nashville like kind of got into it after college like what would you say really like hooked you into the game probably that I always felt like like you could really I know this is a probably a cliche thing to say but you can always get better like no matter how much I practiced something, I always felt like I could get better. And it just like really propelled me to work even harder, get even better. And during that year of when I would have improved the most in my game, um, I, if I remember correctly, I want to say for a minimum of five to six hours, I played golf every single day that year. I, I, I'm sure there might have been a day in there that I didn't, but 
maybe I got flooded out or something, but I just really enjoyed the process of getting better. And it, if I really struggled with something, for example, the following year, I was the worst bunker player that I knew. I was terrible. I had, I just had like a mental block every time I'd get into the bunker. And I remember telling a friend of mine, I was like, we're changing that this summer. And so for that summer, every single day, two hours I spent just in the bunker. By the end of that summer, I would rather be in a bunker than not. And so there was something that really hooked me in just the, the process of improving and working on where you would struggle and seeing if you can't make that your strength instead of your weakness. So I, I love that process of, of the game. Yeah. And you said how long of a time period was it that you went from a 10 to a plus six? Um, let's say, I don't remember exactly. Let's say six to eight months, somewhere in there, roughly. Um, I would say after like a month of practicing, I was shooting around even par close to it, maybe a few over. Um, and then after about three or four months, I was, you know, feasible to shoot under par semi-regularly. And then over the next couple of months, something started clicking. I think I remember shooting 64 for the first time at Nashville golf towards the end of the summer. Um, and for people not familiar with Nashville golf, it's not the easiest golf course. Um, and so that was when I started shooting those kind of numbers was kind of when it started kind of getting me thinking about competing. Um, and then I want to say it was maybe two years later, um, wasn't really playing in competition at this point in time. And I was down in Texas for an extended period of time. And this is when I really felt like I could really compete. Uh, I want to say it was over a two-month span. I had played uh, 50 rounds in a row under 70. Uh, not at Nashville Golf. These courses were a little easier than Nashville Golf. But both of them, I believe one of them was the par 71. The other one's par 72, I think. Um, but I remember shooting like 50, roughly 50 rounds in a row under 70. And that got me really some confidence to go out there and really compete. And I had played in some events up until then. Um, unfortunately, during that span, I didn't really have the financial backing to go play in tournaments. And that was at the time was the best span of golf that I had played. Hmm. So I think you're going from a 10 to a plus six is like not feasible for most people like at all in their lifetimes, like let alone that like short amount of time. But like, if you were to put your finger on like, what are the areas that your game had to get better in enabled to like get you down even just to like scratch so i would have said putting inside of six feet and my short game hmm. so anytime someone says like if you're going to work on something for 30 minutes what would you work on pretty much 90 percent of the time was inside of 40 yards for me um i rarely sat on the range and hit balls uh i was very thankful that like somewhat of a natural swing was there and I, I didn't have to work as hard to be fairly consistent with my swing 
Um, and for me, it was more about feel with my swing. And so I would just put everything into short game. And what I tell people is if you get really good at putting inside of six feet, you can control that and you can make almost every single one. And then that goes back to your longer putts. You start hitting more confident putts. Cause you're like, ah, as long as it's inside six feet, you know, I'm, I'm very good inside of there. So then you start hitting better, longer putts and then on to the chipping, you start hitting better chips. Well, I just got to get it up there inside six feet. It's not that tough. And then back to your wedges and irons. Well, I'm chipping good now. So even if I miss the green, it's okay. And so, and then it would propel all the way back to the driver off the tee. And so that was kind of how I took the game was from inside of six feet affects everything in the game. Cause for me, to play at those levels it was about confidence and confidence inside of six feet i i think that that is at times the most overlooked aspect of how someone can improve quickly caleb are you taking notes i don't know what you're trying to say cooper but maybe i will <laughs> no. I think it's so interesting that you say that, Zach, because I feel like there's so much emphasis on like, you know, lengthening courses or, you know, um, like technology in the driver or like the, really the driver in general, you know, I think like, you know, of course, Bryson in the last year, it feels like everybody's like wanting to hit the ball like so far right now, um, which is important to an extent. Right. But like the short game has just always been a constant, right? Like it, it, for sure. Your short game travels, right? Like, you know, it's always important no matter what course you play. So, um, yeah, I think no matter the handicap or, you know, anyone that's listening to this, I think inside 40 yards, that's the big tip tonight. It is. Yeah, I would for every and I would do more on my short game than even this. But I always tell people for every hour that you're on the driving range working on your swing, four hours needs to be put inside of. 40 or 50 yards hmm. so just general idea of how much time yeah. i would put into it I, just to kind of follow that up so when you're working on your game from there 40 yards in i know you'd mentioned that you, you kind of had a lot of feel for your swing did you have like some coaches were you getting some lessons along the way or was it mostly just about kind of repetition and feel for you uh, pretty much trial and error. <laughs> yeah. This worked. Okay. That didn't work. Let's not do that again. Okay. I've got a good feel here. This seems to be working. Let's get really good at that. Um, I did very thankfully have, uh, some guys around me that had been in the game for years that, you know, if I had a question, I could go to them and say, Hey, here's what I'm feeling. This is the result I'm getting. Why is that? And I did have some help there for sure. And that, but I wouldn't really say I had like a consistent coach. These gotcha. were for the most part friends that I trusted and that knew me and I could kind of bounce some ideas off of. And, um, and boo even through the years was a great help. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've had several friends in the game that have definitely been a part of where I'm at now and huge, um, Huge thanks to all the different individuals uh, helping me along the way. That's good stuff. Makes sense. Um, 
Zach, so when you started playing really well to the point where you were like, okay, time to kind of make this, you know, or get serious about this from a competitive standpoint, like talk about the logistics of like, okay, I'm going to go from, you know, playing out on the course every day to like gearing up for, for mini tour stuff. So that was tough. Um, mini tours, if you haven't played in them, I did not realize the expense of them until I started getting out there. Um, does depend on what tour you're playing on because you can play in some one and two day events that maybe the entry fees aren't too bad. But if you're looking at getting into like the four day events, uh, back when I was playing, those entry fees would range anywhere from 900 to 1400 roughly just for the entry fee for one week, plus your travels. And in a perfect world, you have a caddy, but most of the time that's not an option just from expense wise. Um, and so that was tough because at that point in time, I was still waiting tables at night and that just doesn't add up quick enough <laughs> to warrant going out for a month and playing in four tournaments. That's going to cost you eight grand for the month before any life expenses. Mm -hmm. um, so it adds up very quickly. Uh, what I've told people that are possibly wanting to get into it and, you know, maybe graduated from college and are wanting to turn pro is to make sure you have your finances in order and give yourself one full year of competition because that was, I'm very glad that I got out there and started competing. However, I wish I would have been a little slower too and continued practicing, continued working on the game and found a way to maybe set up a business proposal to really get a full year finance. So that's where I would have said I made the mistake. I would get enough money together to go play in two events. I might play well in one and then miss cut the other and then some life expenses come up and then, well, I'm, I'm back to where I was. So then you work some more and a few months later you get a couple more tournaments. And so that's very difficult to get into a rhythm and to really set yourself up for success. However, I'm thankful I got out there and, and learned the process, learned how to compete and all that. I just advice I would recommend to someone to take a year off of competition, keep practicing and make sure the finances are there for you to really give it a run um, and not have to bounce back and forth between working and competing. I know not everybody can, can do that, but if you're able to, that's what I would definitely recommend because the finances add up so quickly uh, when you're out there. And until you make it on the web.com, well, well, Corn Ferry Tour now, um, it's you got to be winning tournaments to really make anything out there. Um, it, it's normally pretty top heavy in a lot of those mini tour events as far as the uh, purse goes. And so, I mean, I, I remember one event, I can't remember, I think I shot 15 under for four days and ended up clearing about $200 on top of my expenses. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so not even close, uh, roughly minimum wage for that weekend. So, that is so, yeah, it's, um, but 
that's, that's what I would recommend for any of you out there thinking about turning pro and wanting to compete, make sure your game's in, in a good place. But after that, make sure the finances are there. And I, nowadays I would probably say you need at least a 80 to 90,000 for a year that include your, your living expenses if they're somewhat limited. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it sounds like a big number and it is a big number, but that's to really do it right. That's roughly ballpark what, what you'd need. And what, and I know it kind of, it might differ like based on the tournament and the tour, but like what's an average finishing position that you should have to expect to actually start making some coin? So this was a this was a joke that me and one of my friends had for a little while. Um, we we said you needed to be top one in ties to make anything. Um, so not not literally, but that was our running joke. Yeah. Um, it's really tough because all the fields are kind of all over the place. Uh, you can play in one tournament that's a one day event that uh, literally I think the last event that I played in was like maybe 15 guys I did end up winning that it was a one-day tournament and if I remember correctly my entry fee was like 250 for the for the one-day event and I think if I remember correctly I got a check for like 1500 for the win might have been 1750 somewhere in there um and that was out of like, 50, like I said, like 15 guys, something like that. And I think to make at least 250, you need to finish fourth. And I think they paid five spots. So they paid like a third, roughly, of the field. Um, and I don't even think the fifth spot got its money back. I, I'm not, I can't remember exactly, but that was yeah. roughly what it was. And most of the time, I would say you need to finish to actually make something you almost for sure have to finish in the top 20%. Wow. And for those that may not know, like from a skill set standpoint, like out on the mini tour, like, you know, what, what are the skill sets like, you know, I mean, how like close, you know, how far are these guys from, you know, kind of what we see out on the tour week in and week out. Yeah, so when I was back playing, it was the NGA Tour uh, back when I was full-time or somewhat full-time competing out there. Uh, there was the Adams Tour and the NGA Tour, and the NGA Tour used to be the Hooters Tour. Now it's the Swing Thought Tour. And so, but back when I was playing, those were like full field events, and they would have a series at times that would have like a PGA Tour or at the time, web.com uh, exemption on the line. And those purses would get up to, uh, if I remember right, like 200,000. Um, so pretty decent purses. Um, winners at times were, not all the purses were 200,000, but at times, I, if I remember correctly, they would get up there. Um, but I think a lot of the time they were closer to 100,000 on the purse winner might get anywhere from like 25 to 30, low thirties, something like that. Um, and I would say on that tour, you're probably looking at like 50 guys that could be on the PJ tour tomorrow. 
Um, the, the biggest difference on that tour than the Corn Ferry Tour or the PGA Tour is the next 50 guys, a lot of those guys were a little ways away. But there was a chunk that were ready tomorrow if the opportunity was there. And I have played with probably 25 to 30 guys that are on tour from that tour then. Um, and so, yeah, like I played with uh, Tony Finau. Yeah. Uh, actually roomed with him one week um, back on that tour. Uh, I knew, uh, Pat and Kazar, um, decently well. Um, and so those were some of the guys, um, that I actually got passed up on the weekend by Pat and I was, had the lead in one event and he passed me up on the weekend. I did not fare very well on the weekend, but I was playing in the last group going into the weekend. And, uh, all I needed to do was play roughly even par. And uh, didn't do that. So, and well, you you talked about it a little bit at the beginning with you know kind of the nerves being maybe the like the biggest learning from uh, you know once you kind of made the jump competitively. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I found it very difficult to understand what to do with my arms and what to do with my legs. I know that sounds so simple and so dumb, but the nerves that would flow through you when you are playing at a high level and you haven't been there, you don't realize what it does to your feel. And I'm such a feel player that all of a sudden, like I've, I've got a 10 footer for birdie to shoot 64 and I can't feel my arms. And I, it, that putt this one time was one of the very first events that I truly knew I had the ability to compete at a high level. Uh, I had a few tournaments in a row that I had paid for. And first event, I went out, shot 72-72. I was like, oh, I didn't play terrible. My first kind of somewhat big event. I was like, yeah, get done, sign my card. And I missed the cut by six. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you next week. So <laughs> yeah, um, that, I wasn't even close. So that was in, in some ways neat to uh, see that, you know, it takes very good golf just to make the cut, even on the mini tours. So the next week I went back out and it was a course that I had actually played before one time. Um, and went out the first day, uh, felt like the course was playing even easier than the week before. And I think I shot 67 the first round, um, which was actually fairly up there, um, towards the top for the round one. And something that I learned was that if you felt like a golf course was playing easy, just keep thinking that and don't let anyone tell you otherwise because the week before I thought the course was playing much harder in some ways than the next course and the cut the next week, I think was like one over. And I felt like it was playing much easier. Those are some things that I kind of had to sort through and learn. Sometimes you just get to a course and it just sets up to your eye. 
you like the speed the greens are rolling, uh, whatever. Maybe you're swinging just a little better. There, there's lots of different reasons. And so, needless to say, I went out in the second round. I think I shot like one or two under on the front nine, and I made the turn. And I just remember thinking, I'm standing on the tee. I remember standing on the tee, and I remember thinking, I got like nine shots to work with to make the cut. What in the world am I thinking about that for? I have no idea. But I had actually never made a cut in a big event before at that point in time. And I think I was one off the lead, maybe two off the lead at that point in time. And so um, that was my thought process. Well, two triple bogeys, a double, and a bogey later, I missed the cut by one. Oh, yeah. Found a way to do that. That was, that was fun. So following week, I had played this course like one time before as well and really liked the course went out the first round. And I think I was like four under with four to play. And I remember thinking to myself, let's turn a good round into a great round. I kid you not. Didn't even remember playing the three holes prior. I remember standing. I remember the thought. And then I remember standing on 18 T I couldn't feel my arms and I had just drawn another circle and I was seven under standing on the 18th T at this course. And I like came to, <laughs> and I'm standing there and I was like, wow, we buried this last hole. I shoot eight under, uh, for today. And all I saw was out of bounds lining the left. And I never missed it left ever hardly. But I saw that. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's not even that hard of a hole. And I'm standing there. Well, needless to say, I didn't hit it out of bounds. <laughs> I hit it in the middle of the fairway on another hole, which was still in play. But I hit that thing so far right. And I remember getting to the ball, paced off my yardage. And I was kind of in a mess because there was tall trees. I couldn't really hit over them. I had to go kind of under and through them. And that actually helped because I really only had one shot and I ended up hitting it up there to about 10 feet. And that was the putt. I'm standing over this putt and I like couldn't feel my arms and I ended up making it and I got done with that round. And that was like one of the coolest feelings that I had been so prepared that even though I was so nervous, I was still executing what I wanted to do. And then ended up going out the next day and I was nine under through my first 12 holes in that round and looked at the scoreboard. And I think I was the only one in double digits under par at that point in time in the tournament. Uh, I was the morning wave. And so there's still a lot of people to, to play their second round. Yeah. And I hear someone walking along and all I hear from the group that was kind of following along was 59 because I had the easy six holes left on the course to play. <laughs> That's all I needed to hear. I didn't make another birdie the rest of the day. Uh, I was playing well. I ended up shooting 64 again. Uh, and then that was kind of the first glimpse of like following up a good round with another good round. I'd actually never done that back to back at that point in time. I'm learning all these lessons on the fly and professional golf that a lot of these people had learned back in junior golf. And so, but that, that's where I was at. I, I didn't really have much junior golf experience. And so ended up playing on the weekend. I think I ended up like a couple over par on the weekend, uh, but it was neat to like 
put myself in that position. And it was definitely a learning experience. Um, I, once the third round didn't quite go how the first two rounds went, I started comparing everything and you cannot do that. Um, not every day is going to be a 64, but you can't compare your rounds. You literally have to be in the moment and just play the next shot. And I found myself comparing every hole, which I just hadn't been there before. And so that was something that I always tell people, just keep putting yourself there. You'll feel more and more comfortable. The more times you put yourself there, you'll know how you reacted the last time. And that's, you can't really learn unless you've been there. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure that the, the main way to you know, work through nerves on the course is to like, like you said, like continue to put yourself in that position, but was there any way that you tried to like recreate some of those nerves while you were practicing? I would, I would do certain putting drills where I would like kind of build up and I wouldn't allow myself to leave until I accomplish a certain goal and it would be a certain number. And I mean, it's not going to be exact similar nerves, but you, you do start feeling like a building tension to accomplish this goal that you kind of set before yourself. Yeah. And I definitely started noticing later on, those were kind of some of my first experiences later on. I ended up winning a few times on some mini tour events and won one event in a playoff that was, uh, I, if I hadn't had the prior experiences, I can almost guarantee you, I wouldn't have won that. And that was neat to see. Cause I was actually playing in my group. I was in the second to last group and I was playing in my group with a guy who was on the tour at the time. He just decided to come play in this event. And I was pretty much toe to toe with him the whole day. He ended up making one bad swing. He dropped back, but in the mini tours, you never really exactly know where you stand. You just have to keep playing good golf. And I got done, signed the card. And one of the guys in the group behind me was tied with me playing his, the last hole waited. We were tied. We ended up going to the first playoff hole and ended up making birdie on the first one there. But I wouldn't have been able to finish that round like I did if I hadn't been there prior. And then I also learned in that round on the last hole, I almost made a bogey because I was so amped up. My like adrenaline was just pumping. I was nervous, but it was like a good nervous. It was the, the adrenaline was, I remember, I, if I remember right, I think I hit a nine iron flew the green. And I think I hit that nine iron probably carry like 180. And I would normally carry at like 165 and I was just so amped I turned that nine iron into like a hard hard eight iron <laughs> real quickly thankfully I got it up and down but that was something there that I needed to learn boy when I get amped I might need to second guess what club I'm hitting <laughs> yeah and it, it it's interesting because no one's immune to being nervous like a like even like golf aside like we've all been nervous at some point in certain situations and um i feel like it's not talked about a lot of times like on broadcasts 
you know, I think like every once in a while it'll come up, like, you know, guys coming down the stretch, right? Like he's never been in this position. Um, but like, I mean, like Caleb, Joe and I play for a few bucks here and there and like, we'll get nervous over like a five foot putt for five bucks. You know, it's like, I, I literally cannot imagine like leading a legit tournament of any kind. Like doesn't matter like whether it's like a club tournament a mini tour series, a PJ tournament, like I would, yeah, I'd, I think I would faint. There, there's a few times that I, it's, uh, I forgot what, um, who was it this past weekend? He had a great quote um, who just won. I'm completely blank. And Daniel Berg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did y'all see his quote that he had this weekend? He said, winning. I can't remember if it was leading a PGA tour tournament or winning a PGA tour tournament. It feels like having a heart attack every single hole. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was very accurate. <laughs> Which like, it's nice to hear guys like that say it because I mean, like you said, like you're all feeling it, you know? So uh, if, again, it feels like it's not really talked about a ton, but, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, obviously a guy who's been there before, who's won before, and it's like, still feels that pressure. Yeah. Well, and I think it's kind of funny that talking about that nine iron, cause I feel like there was a moment this past weekend where Spieth was like having a conversation with his caddy about his adrenaline it just like when they're trying to like work out a club like yep. in that situation did you have a caddy that was there with you that you're kind of having those conversations or is it just you on your own kind of like having to self-assess I was by myself in, in that instance I would say in my mini tour golf experience I was on my own probably 90% of the time wow yeah, so like, like you said, Zach, I guess just a lot of trial and error. Just like, okay, that didn't work. We'll try it again <laughs> with something else. Yep, and don't eat Chinese food if you're leading a golf tournament either. So just forewarning, don't go to <laughs> a Chinese buffet. <laughs> that, that, that. Didn't, that didn't work out well. <laughs> <laughs> that, might, that actually might just be a good life, life tip in general. It's just, <laughs> at hey, this Zach, I'll ask you this. We, we so we had a caddy on a, a couple of weeks back that I've gotten to know a little bit. And he, after college, he played some mini tours and competitive golf for a, a few years as well. And one of the things that he said, you know, we're, we're, it was along the lines of there's so many guys that are phenomenal golfers that end up not making it or not having a full chance because of not having the financial backing or the right circumstances. And I, I think I can, you know, from what you've said, uh, it makes sense, but, you know, can you kind of speak to that a little bit too? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I know quite a few guys right now, um, my age and younger that aren't currently competing just because of what the finances look like. Um, I, I am hoping here in the, I have obviously kind of taken a step away over the last few years with doing social media, but I do have the goal to get back to competing full time. Um, nice. But yeah, I know quite a few guys that 
just financially just can't make it work. And they're phenomenal golfers. Um, and then I know a few guys that were, that I had known them as being pretty good golfers, but were able to stick out there for a little while. And then all of a sudden caught fire and they were on tour. And I mean, I think it's awesome. Um, but yeah, there's a, a ton of golfers that, uh, just don't quite have the financial backing. And one thing that I always said, if I, I don't care what your finances are, if you're able to at least get off there, some, you can catch lightning in a bottle for a six week span. You change everything. The more opportunities you give yourself, the more of an opportunity for that really. And I say six weeks, that would either be getting through Q school or maybe Monday qualifying into a couple of events and having a couple of good finishes to get enough money to be high enough on the money list to where they do the shuffle. You're all of a sudden in the mix. And so six weeks, if you can play for a month and a half at a super high level, no matter what tour you're playing on, you do have to be playing in the right events though. There was a guy that I knew that was playing in some mini tour events. I would have put, the level of golf he was playing at this one specific time over like a five or six week span, honestly up there with about anyone in the world, he was winning almost every single one. But the problem was it wasn't qualifying him for anything. He was making good money and he was playing great golf, gaining a lot of confidence, but it wasn't like wrong qualifying. Yeah. There, there was no way for him to get to the next level from those yeah. events. So I will say playing in the right events to get you to the next level is pretty important. Now, it's not to say don't play in an event if it doesn't qualify for anything because you do need the experience and it can be a way to make some money. But totally makes sense, man. That's uh I think that's that's some information that you know, a lot of guys like me, you know, don't don't know. We don't, you know. So that's that's yeah, it's interesting. So Zach, you did, did the mini tour stuff and, and kind of fast forward, like at what point, you know, did you start kind of doing some social media stuff? Uh, and how did that come about? Um, I would say, I'm trying to think probably about four and a half years ago, roughly is kind of when I started, um, four, four years, four years ago. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Four, four, four and a half years ago, I started just taking some photos and putting them up on Instagram. Honestly, not putting much thought to it. When I first started, I was just kind of sharing my golf journey, a uh, little bit of life, but just doing some photos. I had never taken a photo before, to be honest. Growing up, I always didn't like it very much. So it was kind of funny that all of a sudden that's what I was doing. And one day, there was a photo that I took and I was like, that was really cool. And it was like a domino effect. The Lord just like flipped a switch in my head, got literally in that moment. And I had all these ideas for all these different angles of photos. And so I just started doing photos, didn't really do many videos at that point in time. And then me and Boo started doing some like fun, like we call it the golf shop guys. Uh, we did some, some fun videos there at the club and then did some like ridiculous kind of trick shots, but kind of like funny trick shots. And uh, we had fun with that. And then it kind of kept going from there. 
Boo ended up moving away on me. And mm-hmm. so I was out there um, doing some trick shots and stuff like that, continuing on with the photos. And then one day I was playing and walking up 13. Do you remember Taylor Davis? Oh, yeah. So me and Taylor were playing and I had had in my head, I was like, I've got this idea of how to film like a low shot to my stinger, like film it low. And it's like, hopefully it'll be a cool angle. And I think at that point in time, my most viewed video might've been like, I don't even know, a little under 10,000 views, something like that. And so I filmed it and I had told Taylor, I was like, Taylor, I've got an idea for a video. You play 14, 15, 16, and I'll meet you over on 17T. And so I sat there, set up the camera, hit a shot. And I remember looking at it, thinking, that was really cool. I don't know if anyone else is going to think that's cool, but I thought that was cool. So I ended up posting it up that night. I can't remember exactly, but I think roughly like 15 to 20 minutes in, it already had like 10,000 views. And I was like, oh, okay. I've got some more ideas. So <laughs> obviously, but that was kind of the the start of the the stinger videos kind of thing. So yeah, I loved the bit that Boo did. The uh, I think at one point he was doing a smother hook four iron. Oh there, yes. So many of those classic videos that like the very beginning were just awesome. Yes. A little short story to one of the videos that me and Boo did. We were trying to do like these full swing tops, but it kind of looked like you flopped it because you'd top it so much it'd like pop up and like roll down. Yeah. Well, me and him had been up there alternating, each of us going back and forth. A boo could probably tell you closer amount of time, but I'm going to say like two to two and a half hours and neither one of us have made one. Kid you not, he tops it, he makes it. I stopped recording. I should have kept recording, but I handed him the phone. He started a new one. I topped it and make it back to back. And we had been out there for like two, two and a half hours and ended up making it back to back. So that was a neat little backstory that uh, outside of me and Boo, I don't know if anyone knew that. That's so good. Well, at, at what point did you realize like, oh man, this could, this could be something that like I can make some money off of? Yeah, that definitely did take a little while. Yeah. Um Just for the simple fact of, especially in the golf world, uh, they are typically a little slower to adapt to kind of what's going on. And so um, it it, it took some time for like companies, brands, courses to understand the value. Um, I just, it was new. A lot of these companies and brands and courses have been around a long time. This is a brand new way to market or to partner or to use marketing dollars or anything like that. And I do think it probably would have been kind of scary because it's it's unknown territory. And at the towards the beginning of when I was doing it, there weren't that many people in the golf world really like putting out a lot of content. There's a handful of us. Um, and there was definitely a, a chunk that were well before I even started, but, um, but yeah, probably would have been about two and a half years ago when I was like, Hmm, okay, this is something I could do. Um, started getting some sponsorships and some different 
paid partnerships and um, started working with some golf courses on some paid promotion and some things like that. And then I got into YouTube and YouTube kind of changed the game for me because um, it gave me, and this wasn't right away, but after kind of building up the YouTube channel, it, it kind of gave me some residual income that was kind of like a base that then I all of a sudden was able to really not have to do hardly any paid promotions. Um, so that was neat to see because I never wanted to do a paid promotion that I wasn't fully on board with the company and brand and everything. And so it ended up becoming pretty rare. And if you look at my channel this past year, outside of promoting my brand, I didn't do one promotion on anything um, outside of a few golf courses, but like no products or anything like that. Not saying that I'm not going to do anything in the future, but because of YouTube, it's allowed me to not have to do those. And I only want to do those kind of things when I really feel like it adds value to the viewer and I personally use it or would recommend it highly. So that YouTube has kind of allowed me to get very picky with who I work with in that aspect. But early on, um, you, it was pretty much just the paid promotions and things like that. But YouTube did kind of change the game for me there. Yeah. And tell us, uh, tell us a little bit more about your brand. Yeah. So ostrich, uh, it's me, my brother and brother-in-law, we started it, uh, pretty much exactly a year ago, uh, now. And it was kind of one of those things that I had had in the back of my head that I wanted to build a brand around what I was doing, but I didn't want it to be my name. And I didn't really, I wanted it to be part of who I was and what I was doing, but I didn't want me to be the focal point of the brand, if that makes sense. Because eventually one day, you know, if I decide I want to take a year off of making content, I can kind of step aside and the brand won't struggle. Like I wanted it to be separate, but it is me and all of that. So that was the first deciding factor. It wasn't going to have like anything to do with me. Um, and so started tossing around some ideas. We ended up I wanted an animal for our logo and brand. Once we sorted through so many things that were already taken or used, and there was just no way we were getting trademark on anything, we ended up coming up with the ostrich because we came up with kind of a tagline prior, which was not your average birdie. And that just worked. And so we, we haven't really utilized that tagline as much as we are in the future yet. Like we've got it and we've got it actually on one t-shirt right now, but that's going to be used and uh, utilized more here in the coming days. But wanted to basically provide a product that was as high a quality as your Peter Millar or those top of the line brands, but more at like a mid-level price. Yeah. So that was the goal of my brand. I didn't want to be known as cheap 
but I also didn't want to be known as expensive, but I wanted to provide the quality of those expensive items. And so started kind of sorting through the different fabrics. I mean, we, all of, all of the um, items to our own, we went through design, obviously definitely had some inspiration from certain manufacturers and certain designs. Um, but then we ended up going with bamboo for our first polo, uh, which I love the feel of bamboo. It is more of our everyday polo. I wouldn't really say that it's a performance polo, which we're in the works right now of working on our performance polo. And down the line, it's going to be pretty much a full-on athletic apparel line, but is kind of golf-focused. So athletic line and brand first, but kind of caters to the golfer, if that makes sense. And then we will be opening the door to a women's line down the road. But right now we're just wanting to execute each individual item and do the best we can with each one of those. Cool. Well, man, I know we're right at time, so we won't uh, take up much more of your time. But uh, first off, just so appreciate you hopping on with us for a few minutes and hanging out, kind of talking about your golf background and journey. We'll have to do this again at at some point and catch up. Um, One last question before we let you go. Uh, you know, we talked uh, earlier, you said, yeah, I'd love to get back into some competitive golf at some point, but for like 2021 specifically, like what can we expect from you on social media channels that maybe has been different than what you've done in the past? Yeah. So kind of coming up uh, a good friend of mine, Micah Morris, he does YouTube and Instagram and all that as well. Um, I'm really wanting to get more into like competitive matches on my channel. So I do think here in 2021, you're going to see a lot more match style videos on YouTube. So kind of nine hole, maybe even some 18 hole, um, that ends up just being a very long video. And that's why I end up breaking them up to nine holes. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I probably need to throw it out there at least just to see what people think. Would you sit down and watch a 50 or an hour long <laughs> YouTube video? I, I don't know. Um, but that's roughly what it ends up being if I were to do an 18 hole match. So yeah. end up breaking them up into nine hole matches. And this also kind of helps me get some of those competitive nerves again, kind of help prepare for playing in competition in the future. So I'm going to be doing a lot of that this year. Um, I had always liked doing it in the past, but it, it's tough to get two good golfers together very regularly, but this year I'm going to just try to make that work. Cause th- that is the type of content on YouTube that I really enjoy. Um, I like doing the solo course vlogs as well, but doing a full on match where there, there's, uh, some pride on the line and each video is always fun. Yeah, totally. Well, I think I, I speak for you know Caleb, Joe, myself. We watch the no laying up videos a ton and, you know, it feels like all of those are somewhere in like the 30 to 45 minute range. They're, you know, kind of putting those out weekly. So we'd be down for an 18 hole match. And I, I love the nine hole ones to do. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm there. It's one of those things that those 18 hole matches, that would be uh, to, to give you a little glimpse into how long the process of these if it's me and Micah, we can probably, if there's no one on the course, we're probably going to film a nine hole match, in like maybe two and a quarter hours. So not that much longer than what it would typically take. 
if I'm by myself, it does take a little longer because it's easy for us to just pass the camera back and forth instead of me having to set up every single shot kind of thing. However, the editing process for that can take upwards of like 12, 13 hours for nine holes for the, for the video. So you're looking at like, eh, I'm going to say 15 hours per video roughly. And that's before engaging on the video or any of that sort of thing, posting it up on all of the different platforms to get some traction. So that being said, that's why we also hesitate to do an 18 hole match because then you just double that for, for one video. So. Yeah, no kidding. Well, uh, yeah, I think the behind the scenes work is, is something that you've made look easy. Uh, you know, I think we didn't even really get to talk about that, but I know there's a ton that goes into everything that you do from a social media standpoint. Um, but man, once again, just, thanks so much for for coming on for a few minutes for hanging out with us and uh we'll probably hit you back up here at some point catch up with you again sounds great i seriously appreciate y'all having me on and it was great catching up we'll definitely do this again thanks zach awesome man well we'll have to get out and play sometime too heck yeah dude yes for sure <laughs> that'd be fun you can uh you can give us some we need all the tips we can get so yeah, like Cooper said, something about that six feet and in. Pot. <laughs> <laughs>